There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Man, oh man, am I hungry. You are. You know when it comes down to, it's like, because with the Donner Party, right? <laughs> You're eating people. Right. And all stuff. And then they said it's like, you know, starvation begins to occur technically seven, eight, nine days after you have eaten. Sure, right? sure. Like, like that's when starvation starts to happen. Your muscle starts getting dissolved. Mm. But like, I'm hungry now. Right. And I ate like 45 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And if there was anything near me, I mean, like, honestly, I would just. So fucking. you're saying that you would just aggressively eat people if you were part of the Donner Party with no concept of the fact that you actually look like a hairy turkey. <laughs> Preemptive strike. <laughs> get get them before they, they get me. They at you like they will just see you stuffed with an apple in your mouth. Just Hey, guys, what are you guys looking at? What? I'm here just building a fire. Why are you guys all just staring hypnotically at my rump? <laughs> all right, this is the last podcast on the left. I am Ben O'Kissel with Marcus Barrett. Do you say Ben O Kissel? Ben O Kissel, I've changed. <laughs> I've become Irish. I converted last night. I had just the right amount of Jameson, and I'm officially Irish. Um, all right, and of course we have Henry Zabrowski. This story is still haunting me. I feel like there's a lot of people who are talking about this episode. I mean, like you know, we do serial killers, aliens, and ghosts, and obviously we'd like to cover many things on the show. And I think that when we dip into history, people sometimes forget. Like when you look back at it again, like a reading in different stars above it's just nothing but screaming it seems like it yeah <laughs> it is the most brutal story we've come across besides the what's it the um uh the cement bound girl do you remember that japanese story with the girl that was tortured yeah, by all the that was that. Cement? yeah like the japanese cheerleader murder or something like that i mean cement, unit, yeah, cement girls yeah cement girls unit 731 also uh, i right. guess that, that reminded me you saying japanese reminded me Woo. of that as well that was also a pretty horrific history yes uh, it was history episode but this what we're about to cover now is uh, this is among uh the most harrowing tales in uh, american history and there are quite a few harrowing tales in american history this is gonna get nasty folks so we are on to it it's the donner party part two the bloody conclusion well actually not so bloody because their bodies were completely frozen by the time you got to the the time they got to the bodies they were completely okay let me rephrase also the frozen bloody conclusion (laughs) very good thank Thank you you. but alfred packer was another famous cannibal which we kind of were talking about like kind of cannibalism in the frontier times it was actually not that it was common no but it happened quite a bit it happened twice that's that's twice too many i'm gonna say undocumented how many times did it happen Uh, five to six Right? Yeah, honestly, though, that's a lot of times. It's too that's many a lot of times. times. No matter if it's one time, it's too many times. Okay, but, let's uh, do we, this. But Alfred Packer was, we were going to go to, the uh, Harold Schechter wrote a whole book about Alfred Packer, but it's very difficult to kind of pin down the details of what exactly went down because there was just, all we have is Alfred Packer's story. But that's a really good thing to look into if you want to look into like how fast it could take one dude to kill five other guys to eat them and then live off them for two and a half months in well, the middle of the fucking snowstorm. All right. So when we last left the Donner Party, they had failed to traverse what came to be known as Donner Pass on their way through the Sierra Nevadas to their planned destination of California. On the day of November 3rd, 1846, the advance team had been met by a snowstorm on the mountain above Truckee Lake. They camped out for the night, but when they awoke, they were all buried in snow. Yikes. 
they went to sleep, and apparently one of the lead dudes, because like the grown man, because at this point, I mean, it's been hot out there for a, pi- a pioneer. All well, right, they're out there. They're, they they get stuck in there. They're like, okay, we're gonna make a big push. They were so tired. They're like, okay, we're just gonna sleep for the night because they were carrying the babies. It got so cold. All of the women, all the men were carrying all the children, which was half the camp. Right? They were wait trying to get them. They couldn't do it, so they went to sleep. And then the first one to wake up woke up screaming thinking that he was the only one left on the mountain because snow had covered everyone. And they all just woke up like, oh, oh, like if you've ever woken up in a yard after drinking all night in college. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I think if you wake up screaming, that they just call that a frontier rooster. <laughs> Truckee Lake also sounds like a place that you would go with your friends during your Jinko phase and you smoke really bad swag weed, but you're just like hanging out at Truckee Lake. Me and D fun. were talking about how about if we just made a band that was all bass? <laughs> so the team decided it was best to head back down, and the snowstorm that had begun the day before extended itself for a further. Eight days. Now, before we truly get started on the tales of cannibalism, and I say tales in plural, it's important to know just how terrible the winter of 1846 into 1847 actually was. Besides all the other hardships the Donner Party encountered, they were caught in the middle of one of the coldest winters ever recorded, not just in the Sierra Nevadas, but in the entire Western Hemisphere. Yeah, they were in the middle of a thing called La Nina, which is Spanish for the Nina. Do you remember that? I do remember that. It's a great Chris Farley sketch. I would say this. Could have done without that. If you're on, if you're in this camp, you're just like, really, snowstorm. And then you have to laugh. Yeah. One day you just, you have to look at your like this is snowstorm. Like Clark Griswold, my mandatory Clark Griswold reference, where he just starts freaking and you just have to start laughing. And like, get me my boss, tied with a bow. And then it cuts to Clark Griswold chopping off Beverly D'Angelo's beautiful breasts. Oh, no, don't do that. On a fucking spoke. Don't do that. As it's written about in The Indifferent Stars Above, which, again, comes at the highest recommendation. It's so fucking good. It's so fucking good. Here's some of the other tragedies that occurred that same winter. Mm. In Nebraska, 600 Mormons died of exposure, hypothermia, or starvation in a series of harsh blizzards. Jeez. In Ireland, the cold that winter was one of the main factors that led to the Great Irish Potato Famine, which killed over... Over a million people. Wow. And that's just the deaths. In Oregon, the Columbia River froze solid. And think of the fish. Think, think of, of the Immediately fish. became fish sticks. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And you know, the potato famine, all they had was potatoes. Mm. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it is. We learned this one, one episode. I forget what it was. Like... Five years ago, someone had to explain to me what the potato famine was. I've been telling Puffin a lot of history. Good Lord, Puffin, his poor deaf ears. It's all the sound. As far as what the Donners experienced, they endured no less than 10 blizzards in the five months that they were either just outside or actually in the Sierra Nevada mountains, walking or living in snowfall that went up to 20 feet deep in some places. Because they didn't listen to anybody. (laughs) They didn't take a bit of advice. This is what happens when you don't if you're going to poll people and ask them what to do. You fucking listen to it because this yeah. shit happens. Well, how? Yeah, I mean, who? How many people in the Donner Party could you say 
You deserve this. It's entirely your fault. And how many people were just following orders? Uh, the guy that, whose fault it really was, uh, he'd already left. He took off for yeah. war. Yeah. Yeah. He, Texas. Well, he had been banished. Uh, right. Yeah, right. James he, Reed. Okay, so. Yeah, James Reed. And he had made it through the Sierra Nevadas. He made it through to the other side. Wow. Uh, but out of the other people, they were just kind of going along with it. We're going to follow what this guy James Reed says. He seems to know what he's talking about. Uh, also, I'm sick of every person that I look at, so let's please just part ways as soon as we possibly can. So James Reed was the only person fighting in that war in Texas, just thrilled to be there? It was in California. Oh, in California, just Mm. thrilled to be there because he's at least not dying at the Donner Party? (laughs) Well, he was doing his duty, and uh, when you further read into it, you find out that he went to war because he had to do it in exchange for land in California. I see. Basically, he had to volunteer for the war and then also got land as like payment afterwards and so he went just kind of figured at this point oh they'll be fine yeah because oh, they figured i was fine they're like oh they'll they will have gotten through with this point but okay. then <laughs> they were fucked yeah uh, yeah and he also figured i'm gonna i'm gonna need when my family does get through i'm gonna need to secure a future for them i'm gonna right. need to secure land and and all that type of stuff right, his family is still there yeah his entire family oh, is wow. still okay. on the yeah, other yeah, side of the lake okay so when the advance party returned to Truckee Lake, the search for shelter began. Now, the Breens, who were the largest family, they were about the only ones to get somewhat lucky in that respect, hmm. as they happened upon an abandoned cabin. Hey, all right. Others were able to build their own cabins, like the uh, Foster, Eddie, and Pike families, who squeezed 16 people into a structure they built into the side of a large rock near Truckee Lake, where three quarters of the party sheltered. So what did they do? Did they, they would chop down the trees and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, chop, in, in, yeah in buddy. Winter time? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is it. You don't go to Amazon. There's no, <laughs> yeah. like, clickety-click and the fair? shit shows up. They had to build all the shit. So they, this, the Breen family... Yes, they found a cabin, but I'm going to use a quotation marks cabin and say that that was also built by somebody else that was stranded in a snowstorm. And so it was just kind of half made. They still had to remake a whole roof by first killing half their oxen and, and skinning them and then putting pine bows over the top of it to keep Ooh. whatever heat gets in. Same thing with this other thing. They just built They just These are hard Man. men. These guys hard, are... big, erect men. <laughs> well, I don't know why you did it like that, but I will say this. Flex Seal. It's some Flex Seal. It works. I watched they the YouTube video. Flex oh, they didn't have Flex Seal. It's a different time. Well, three quarters of the party, they were at Truckee Lake. The other quarter of them made their camp about five miles away at Alder Creek. Hmm. That was where the Donner Party stayed. And as if just having their name cursed for no real reason for generations to come wasn't bad enough, (laughs) the Donners suffered perhaps more than ever. Any other family. Really? Yeah, dude. More than These like, guys scream themselves to death. <laughs> yeah. More than like the Shits family and the Fucks family and the Crappers. No, they lived a That's whole lifestyle a... Of, on toilet money and, and fuck money. Because think about it. Every time you legally say the word fuck, the fuck family gets two cents. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> now, things went wrong almost immediately for the Donners when one of their wagons tipped over and was damaged. Mm. In the course of repair, George Donner cut his hand, Ooh. which got infected and George would have to deal with a useless, gangrenous limb for the entirety of his time in the wilderness. Good lord. 
dude, it was like, so he cut his hand like first thing. And so first he's like, I'm good. It's good. It's Don't worry, guys. It's fucking good. And they're like, okay, sure. Okay, dad. And he went out to get firewood and he can't use the hand. Right. And so they're all like, no, we'll help you. He's like, I'm fine. I'm a strong man. Meanwhile, the affection's crawling up his arm and it keeps this. It's just so fucking sad. I see. So it's th- him. One arm covering, like holding lumber and the crook of it, right. dragging it through the while his helpless family's just staring at him. See, that's the interesting thing of masculinity. It can be not good. Yeah. And I think he's using this is, uh, it's not, it's like when Henry was talking about how his father didn't believe in brushing his teeth. Mm-hmm. And then I said, I haven't wiped my ass in 13 years. I'm such a man. <laughs> but that's what these guys were all about. They were all men. It's like, no, your arm is falling off. Yeah. And that is why the majority of people who died in the Donner party were men. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, George Donner, see, the Donner family, it wasn't just George Donner and his kids. It was George Donner and his kids and George Donner's brother, Jacob, and his family. Uh, but Jacob was, they said, what did they say that he was uh, not necessarily weak? He was frail. Okay. He was frail. He was sickly. Yeah. He was a reader. He was me <laughs> on the trail. He's going in like, oh, like these, like, so we're sleeping on these pine needles? They're like, yes, this is the softest thing for miles. Ooh. <laughs> I like need a memory foam top just to even try to get my mandatory seven hours. Absolutely. Well, to make matters worse for the Donners, they tried building a cabin, but the snow fell so hard and fast that they were forced to abandon the construction and set up what they thought were three temporary canvas tent structures. But they would stay in those tents for the duration. Oh, I can feel it. I used to get frostbite all the time as a kid because I was like, I don't need a jacket. Uh, And it was like three degrees in Wisconsin. And frostbite, I could just feel the pain that these people were having. Which with you, Wisconsin people? I don't know yeah. what it's the same it is. thing with our friend Adam Wirtz. Yes, they He's wear sandals. He's always wearing shorts. Yes, I know. Yeah. It's a point of pride, okay? Can we have something? <laughs> well, others were no better off than the Donners. A lot of them lived in lean-tos. Or, in the cases of the single men, they were pretty much just exposed to the elements. Jeez. The single men got the rawest deal of all. Really? Yeah, dude. They were just left out there because they were the hired help. These are the guys they hired to help them. And so they would have to be, which I still don't really understand how the hiring structure still holds in this scenario, where they were still technically working for the Donners and helping them put up the tents and put up all the cabins and shit. And then they're like, okay, thanks. Bye-bye. And then they have to go to their quote-unquote home, which was just laying in the dirt 20 yards from where the cabin was. Yeah, how are, are they getting paid every other Friday? What's, I mean, how are they working? Why would they just be like, no, we're going to start sleeping in the house? No, well, there no. just wasn't enough room. Mm. And there was also well, some yeah. propriety because the house was filled with children. Mm, okay. So, I yeah, mean, but that's, those are easy to kill with a rock. Not to no, say that I all the time. That. But I feel like in this scenario, you'd kind of be like, well, what if I just kill you and your whole family and I have the cabin, which is where, again, why I'm not a part of a wagon train. Yeah. (laughs) Well, not only was everyone living in these terrible structures, but food was scarce from the very beginning. Mm. Since most of the oxen and cattle had been run off, killed, or just plain died, there were only a few left for the duration of the winter. And the livestock they did have were also starving, so the meat had barely any nutritional value. Mm. And even then, once they butchered everything, the meat they had was going to run out in just a few weeks. Now, to understand the desperation here, you got to understand how many children were involved in this entire scenario. Okay. 
out of the 81 people left in the Donner Party, a full half of them were children. Jeez. And most of the people on the expedition were parents. So there was definitely a primal instinct at work there. Right. I tell you what, man. Have you ever been on a Disney cruise, though? Or one of these, like, car- like carnival cruises where they allow kids? No. Where you're stuck on there with, like, fucking half kids, and you're on there at the ocean for, like, two weeks? Yeah. Man, yeah. I tell you what, those kids go overboard real easy. <laughs> I'm sure they, they do. Just screaming and shit. We're Ooh. not Florida classy, so we haven't been on a lot of <laughs> Disney cruises. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and even though kids were used as a labor source much more in those days, to the point where laws had to be passed to limit the workday of kids eight and under to less than ten hours day really it happened about five years before the donner party <laughs> see i mean even though all of that was happening parents who didn't turn their kids over to the factories they didn't love them or want to protect them any less than parents do in modern times okay. <laughs> I, I mean i don't mean to laugh but yes i mean before you cared about them because they were great workers right and they can fit their hands in little gears and, the, and they needed less shoes and you can put you can dress them in just a wrap like a weird little sack and just throw them in there and the best part is that to make more kids, you get to do your favorite thing in the world, which is fuck. Yeah, and then make your own little workforce. That's what a lot of the farmers did. That's right. And, you know, and the, the, it's, it kind of worked both ways because some of them had so many kids because the child mortality rate was so ridiculously high. But in some cases, uh, like just for example, like the Breens, every kid they had survived. So they had like... So they were they kind showed of up. regretting it. <laughs> At some point, they're like, which one of you is going to die? Yeah, they <laughs> showed up with like nine kids. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, dude. And so it's like they live through the daughter party catastrophe and then they die two weeks later getting run over by a fucking wagon. You know what I mean? How many times kids Horrifying. die? All right. This does not sound very fun. I'm just going to say that. I'm just no. going to say that. No, no. So as the resources of the camp dwindled, a man named Franklin Graves took charge and began leading escape missions. Hmm. Now, the first one failed to even get through the pass, as did the one after that. And the weeks crawled by with no relief from the weather, and most of the single men had already been reduced to eating mice and strips of buffalo hide from their robes. Isn't that, doesn't that sound familiar, ladies? What? What? <laughs> all the single men out there, man. That's all they're good for, man. Eating mice, a, strips of buffalo hide. I know how it is, ladies. Kick them to the curb. To be honest, your boyfriend. What's wrong with that? That's all, that's, all, that's all they had to eat. That's all they're good for, man. Get a job. That's what I say. Single man, get a job. For for what's happening out there, mice doesn't seem that bad. It's, yeah, it is. Beef jerky. It's, yeah, it is, buddy. Beef jerky. It's not beef jerky. First of all, it's not necessarily as ba- what it's bad about eating mice. It's that mice, it was all they had to eat. Right. I mean, you're talking, I mean, how much meat is on a mouse? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's one of those age-old questions. <laughs> How much meat is on a mouse? <laughs> Do you remember Pudgy? I Pudgy would have been good. Yeah. Oh, Pudgy was great. He was chubby. Yeah, but I mean, but those are just and that's and there's like what I think there was something like six or seven of these single guys. Yeah, they're eating mice, mm. and it's not and it's absolutely not uh, beef jerky that they're eating. Like they're eating rugs. They're eating their yes. clothes. Oh, they're yes. eating their like, clothes, and they have to boil them down until they become this jelly. That you can consume Ooh. this gray, just flavorless stuff you scrape at the bottom of the pot and you just put it in your mouth. And also, these are full-grown men. These are hardened, 
a lot of them veterans out yeah. here doing all this shit. And it's like, they are fighting over mice. Yeah. This is not Crazy. like, they would see one and go run off like it's Wendy when I throw a fucking toy. And this is like a full-grown frontier man. And there's something about that that's very frightening to me. Yeah. It's a bunch of full-grown men with axes fighting over tiny animals. It's got to be weird being like, Henry, come over here. Take a look. You know, when guys take, we're like, take a look at my dump. And then you're like, look at it. It's, it's got a members only logo on it. Because they had to meet the, eat their members only jacket. Which probably doesn't taste very good. Well, yeah, they're just rayon now. None of that's leather anymore. Anymore. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, the buffalo hide stuff uh, that they were eating normally, they would use that as glue. Oh my God! All right. So not not good. Yeah. Once again. And what, yeah. Okay. At no point is anything going to be good here. I'm, no. I'm just no. Gonna no. Used it's to only going to get worse. No, it's all bad. It's, it's only going to keep getting worse until the end. They don't set up a Six Flags or anything like that. Okay. <laughs> no. There's no. There's no fun turnaround. In okay. This, this does right. not become a resort. At so any point. is it safe to? This is the high point. Are we at the high point? We're at the, yeah. yeah. We're at the okay. high point right now. <laughs> Do you know when Caddyshack when they're about to lose the golf course? Uh huh. Imagine it's that the entire time. <laughs> All right, I, I am now mentally prepared. And you mentioned sex flags, and that was something that I kept thinking about when uh, I was uh, researching this. How boring was this? Oh my god! Yeah, I'm, buddy. I mean, you got to. Th- I mean, this. There's nothing Ugh. to do. You're constantly starving. Yeah. Uh, there's no activities. You're not going to be gabbing with the people. No, like it's no. just survive. But that's the thing. It's not even like just survival because there's nothing to survive on. It's not like you're foraging. Horrible. You know who these guys needed? Ryan Styles. <laughs> Because Ryan Stiles uh, could make huh? enjoyment out of anything. Just land him in there doing party quirks. That's what they could have done. Whose line is it anyway? Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Well, what's more, the extreme cold meant that everyone's bodies had to work harder to stay warm, which burned more calories, which meant the people's bodies unwittingly started to cannibalize themselves wow. before they started cannibalizing anyone else. Finally, in mid-December, about six weeks in, Franklin Graves couldn't stand to look at the gaunt faces of his family any longer and decided he would lead a team through the mountains at any cost. This guy was a fucking badass. He was. I like Franklin Graves a lot because he was like, fuck this. It's like, my family's not dying out here like this. So the first thing he did was like, like we need goddamn snowshoes. <laughs> and we are turning into it and like just got his family working. Just be like, everybody get up. Right. We're doing this. We're making snowshoes. And then kids would go on to make shoes from then on, which I think was an important <laughs> way to really start good. it. As long as the kids weren't the snowshoes. No. I, I'm fine with Why did it take him so long to be like, I've had enough of this. What, like, what was why? Why not just do that initially? Uh, because they couldn't figure out how to do it. Like, okay. they couldn't figure out like how are we going to get through all this snow? Uh, because well, it was damn near impossible be to done. get through this. Yeah, and okay. well, not even they thought it might be done. They also thought like maybe we'll figure a way out of this. Maybe a rescue team will come. I see. But then it became apparent that nothing was going to happen. Also, it's fresh powder snow. Which is very difficult to move through. So they couldn't really figure that out. And also, another weird thing in this is that technically they're supposed to follow a certain type of order in their own minds. They have, against what we talked about, it's a sense of propriety. George Donner was technically in charge. And he was kind of out for the count on the other side of the camp. Like, they were, I forgot, like, how far away were they from Five miles. That's a long time. Yeah, they were yeah. five miles away. So, technically, they had no leader. And so they were supposed to have somebody who kind of coalesce everything, and Donner was gone just dying in a tent. So Franklin Graves is like, fuck it, I'll be leaving. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're going to do it like this. 
And the party that Franklin Graves led would be known to history as the Forlorn Hope. Ooh, not a good sign. No, not no. at all. No. Horrible sign, as a matter of fact. There's no, there's no B&B there now called the Forlorn Hope. I never <laughs> stay in a place called the Forlorn Hope. No, where, uh, actually where they are right now is uh, now Truckee, Nevada, right, oh, oh. right north of Reno. Okay, very cool. Beautiful, beautiful country. So, right there. so Graves and 16 others, 10 men, 5 women, and 2 children, set out through the pass on their homemade snowshoes. Mm. And there was no coming back from this one. They would either succeed or they would die. But they did have guides. Charles Stanton had already been through the mountains three times before, and they still had the Miwok guides, Lewis and Salvador. They had only a small amount of beef, no extra clothes, and no tents. But they thought this would be enough because the trip was only supposed to last six days. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's it. come on. That's easy, man. I do six days all the time. Six days is only part of the week. Sure. Small amount of beef is also going to be the name of my comedy special. <laughs> it's a small amount of beef. <laughs> the forlorn hope Ooh. ended up stranded in the mountains. For a month and a half. Oh, my God. Not good. So where are we at on the fuck scale? All right, from, like, I forgot to DVR wheel last night (laughs) to, oh, my God, there are spiders in my colostomy bag. (laughs) Uh, I would say they're at about a six and a half right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About a six and a half. But The spiders are circling the colostomy (laughs) bag at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've discovered there's a tube. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is the story of the forlorn hope. Again, bad omens mark their departure. The day before they left, Bayless Williams, the servant of the Reed family, had quote-unquote lost his mind and died after being ill for weeks, having completely given up any hope of survival. Okay. Now, Williams was the first of many to be buried six feet deep in the snow because the ground was already too deep to even reach. Too frozen? Too deep. Too deep. Yeah. Too the deep, snow is dude. 20 feet deep. Jeez. And pretty soon, the Donner Party wouldn't have the energy to even do that with their dead. So the forlorn hope knew their journey would be difficult, but they didn't really know how horrible it was going to be until they actually got out into the deep wilderness. The snowshoes worked, but the act of sinking down your foot and having to pull it back up again with every step was exhausting. Yeah. And right now you're thinking, oh, that's not a big deal. Like, oh, I walk through snow. I do all this kind of bullshit. But it's number one, you're on a mountain. Yeah. Number oh, two, yeah. it is fucking to the death. This walk is to the death. You are starving and you are bored. The only thing you have to concentrate on is the movement of your feet, which is eventually going to make you kind of go insane, yeah, too. It's a and also realize the gravity of how fucking difficult this is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah this sounds almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, to put it into perspective, just think about how big a pain in the ass it is to just walk like. Two or three blocks in a heavy snowstorm. Yeah. Then multiply that by a thousand. Then put it on a mountain. Then add the fact that you haven't had a real meal in months. Jeez. And that was just the walking. There was also the snow blindness. As Brown lays it out, snow blindness occurs when ultraviolet B rays reflect off the snow and damage the person's cornea. Mm -hmm. And the higher the elevation is, the worse it is. It makes you nauseous, it gives you a splitting headache, and eventually it blinds you. Hmm. And if the exposure is long enough, 
the blindness can be permanent. And the Donner Party didn't have the slightest idea how to fight it. Could yeah. have done without that. Yes, indeed. You know wow. what happened was that they didn't have sunglasses. No. They didn't make this look good, which <laughs> right. is why normally this is like not a thing you think about. They didn't know what it was. Yeah. They're just walking. All of a sudden, they're going fucking blind. That's and I'll tell horrible. you what, and if you think that's hard, try running a podcast network. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're oh my, I can really. It's difficult. I, every day. Yeah, man, they should have gotten one of those military-grade sunglasses that you can run over with a truck. They should have gotten 1846. They should have just ran, a, I mean, just put it into their yeah. Amazon wish yeah. list. Yeah, Definitely. Man, they that, should all be watching geez. the same infomercials at the same level of drunk that you do at 4 a.m., and mm-hmm. then they would have been fine. Yeah, well, it's a good reminder that we're not living in the worst times. No, we absolutely are not. Worse. We're all flush with tactical flashlights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but as difficult as the snowshoes were, they were essential in the first part of the journey, as the only two without them turned back in the first day, hmm. bringing the party down to 15. But they hadn't made it three days before they would lose another member. But this time, the loss would have grave consequences for both the Forlorn Hope and the people back at Truckee Lake. Okay. See, even though Lewis and Salvador had crossed the pass before, they'd never taken the path that they were now walking on. And that was paired with the fact that the two barely spoke English. Why don't they go on the treaded path ever? Because they can't see the wagon trail. Yeah. Because uh, it's covered in snow. I see. So normally the wagons have ground a path into the rock, but they can't see it now. And so they're just walking around in their hands and they're fucking half blind as well. Right. The Forlorn Hope's main guide was Charles Stanton. But Stanton's fatal flaw was that he was only five foot five. I'm being triggered on purpose. It is put in there. You're saying, yes, he has little legs. I'll put this in there. I'll read this in the outline. That meant that he has little legs, but had much more difficult time pulling themselves out of the snow again and again. First of all, I was planning on reading it this way. That meant that his itty bitty legs had a much more difficult time pulling themselves out of the snow. No, no. Technically, according to my IMDb, I am five foot eight. Uh, And if you notice when I wear wear my heels. No, I won't. You go back to the book. Charles Stanton was very handsome, very uh. strong, and very brave. The reason why he died first was because he had already been up and down the mountain pass three times. Oh, he's too Which is alpha. what a short man could do. He right. was too good. Oh, I see. That's why he died. Uh, he was also more susceptible to snow blindness than many of the others. He's so close to the ground. <laughs> He's like, oh, Woo! Oh, man, what a guy. God damn it. Uh, and this was only the third day. And that time, they'd only made it 14 miles. And they had 50 more miles to go. Jeez. And Stanton started falling behind, catching up to the group at night. Then, on the fifth day, as all the others stood to leave the camp, Charles Stanton sat down with his pipe and told him he'd catch up later. Yo, where are you guys? You guys get down the end of the hill. Uh, I'll be right behind you. Hey, before before you go, Mary Sue? Mary? Yeah, yeah. Can you just tell me how Seven ends? The, the movie Seven. The movie Seven? The, it's, the, it's Brad Pitt's wife's head is in the box. Wrath. I'll catch up to you soon. Okay. Strange you know what the movie Seven is. I just need to know. I just need to know it's been plaguing me. I haven't got around to seeing it. There's so many there's so much content. Well it doesn't come out for like two hundred years, so yeah. 
Well, Charles Stanton never caught up. Ooh. His body was found five months later in a hollow stump nearby. Because remember, <laughs> he, could, he, he, was didn't, he, wasn't, he was small enough to fit into a hollow stump. <laughs> he was Where is he? Where the heck is this guy? Oh my God, he he's laying completely. to show everyone his that entire even death, <laughs> he had a sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> okay, so How did he ever climb out of the stump? Maybe he couldn't climb out of the stump. Maybe that was the problem. He was, he was warm in the stump. <laughs> Uh, okay, so remember, these people, they were not in tents at all. Right. They were sleeping outside every night in temperatures Jeez. that ran from the low 20s to the high teens, with mountain winds making it even colder. Wow. And it was snowing almost constantly, with only a few breaks. And when the sun finally came out during the day, giving them just a little bit of warmth... It melted the snow, which made it even harder to walk through. So they're walking through a slushy. Yeah. Basically. Sometimes. Yes. I mean, it, it was either I can feel a tiny bit of warmth on my skin and have to go through a hell slog, or I can be freezing cold and able to walk on like the hard crust of frozen snow. Right, right. Now, since Stanton died, the party had no choice but to follow Lewis and Salvador. Oh, man. <laughs> Poor Lewis and Salvador. Ugh. And if this movie was made in 1978, it would be played by Cheech and Chong, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, I love them. And they were not they were not happy no. to okay. be in this scenario. They were absolutely not happy to be stuck with these people. Now, these guys, they did know the land a little better, but for the most part, they were just as lost as the rest of them. Now, had Charles Stanton survived just a few more days, he may have prevented the party from making a mistake that would cost most of them their lives. Mm. See, again! Again. <laughs> See, the party had got through the Six Mile Valley and had come upon a ridge. If they would have climbed it, they would have found a road that went down to Bear Valley which would have relatively easily led them to the nearest settlement, Johnson's Ranch. If they would have done that, the journey would have taken them nine days at most, just a couple more than they had estimated, wow. which would have brought the rescue parties to the camp at Truckee Lake a lot faster, which would have prevented all sorts of tragedy. Yeah, now, dude, it was right over the ridge. Right. All they had to do was peek over the ridge and they would have seen where there was oh to my go. god and now do we know if charles stanton he was the one who smoked the pipe and do we know if he was baking cookies in in the stump at this point <laughs> do we know if charles stanton became like the first keebler yeah, elf, we is know more elf? oh this is what we're doing <laughs> this is how we're roasting the dead let them roast the dead not us <laughs> okay. but instead of climbing the ridge the forlorn hope turned south oh to the God. easier yeah. path and went downhill. They then descended into a 3,000-foot deep canyon, having no idea where they were going or what they were doing. Total nightmare. Yeah, dude, we're moving towards the level of fucked of, uh, I've left my keys outside, I left my keys inside, and I just got out of the shower. I walked out the door thinking there was an intruder. Now I'm locked outside and I'm nude. Yeah. Wow. The beef they had brought was almost gone, and the real hunger was about to begin. The food ran out on December 22nd, and on December 23rd, an Irishman named Patrick Dolan had a suggestion. 
I've got a bit of an idea. <laughs> I've been looking at your feet and I've been wondering what it would be like to barbecue them. Is that too blunt for you? I guess you just got a different wee build up. <laughs> now, Patrick Dolan thought that the best idea was to draw lots to see who would die so that others may live. Now, this may strike Ooh. us as premature because they'd only gone a few hours without food at this point. Yeah, I think this hey, guy man, was It's always good to plan. <laughs> yeah. But... You've got to remember, these people were not only fighting for their lives, but for the lives of their families. Plus, it's not like these people were eating steaks three times a day. Right. Their food was nothing more than small pieces of lean, salted beef with less nutritional value than a strip of Old Trapper. No. God, I love Old Trapper. That's my favorite <laughs> we do. thing We all ever. love Old Trapper. Oh, God, yeah. it's the best. So a piece of paper was torn into strips, and the men took turns drawing for their doom. Uh-oh. And the unlucky soul who drew the long one was the man who had suggested they do it in the first place, Patrick Dolan. So- now, isn't this ironic? Don't you think? <laughs> it's <laughs> like rain on your wedding day. <laughs> that is the most Irish thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Such bad luck. But when it came time to do the deed, the group discovered that none of them had it in them for cold-blooded murder. Mm. Yet. Uh-oh. <laughs> but as William Eddy, who, by the way, William Eddy, he suggested a duel instead of drawing lots. William Eddy has said a lot of very <laughs> intense things. Well, you'll find out, like, Eddy's nuts. Yeah. Like, he'll oh, say he's just some great, shit. I mean, like, he's a hero of the story, but he's fucking if, crazy. What if we do... A snowball fight. <laughs> and the person covered in the most amount of snow is the one who gets eaten. Okay, you know what I'm thinking is, we tickle each other until the first one pees their pants. <laughs> Listen, it's weird. I know it's weird. But the first one to piss their pants, we kill that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but William Eddy, he was the one that pointed out, he's like, you know what? We don't have to kill anybody. One of us is going to die sooner or later. Right. And the odds were definitely for sooner. First of all, they knew from Charles Stanton's description of the terrain ahead, they knew they'd made a wrong turn somewhere, but they had no idea when they'd done it or where they'd done it. Yeah, you probably don't want the five foot five guy being like the scout. He can't, <laughs> hey, you know, we like... can jump onto a tree higher. We are used to we're used to things being harder, so we are braver. <laughs> now, in addition to that. None of them had enough energy to even leave the camp they'd made the day before. Hmm. The first to go was a young Mexican herdsman named Antonio, last name unknown. Okay. No one noticed he'd even died until his hand fell in the fire and he made no attempt whatsoever to pull it back out again. Jeez, wow. Yeah. And after Antonio died, the tragedy just kept coming. In the midst of a storm, one of the men was chopping wood, but when he brought the handle back for a chop, the head flew off and was lost forever in the snow. Oh so my now God. they had no way to chop wood. God, Everything. it's just what you yeah. don't want. It's just all bad. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, and so looking for any source of heat, the settlers, I think this was actually like Franklin Graves' uh, suggestion, because Franklin Graves had grown up in Vermont, so he actually knew a little bit about surviving in the snow. Mm. The settlers formed a tent using themselves as post, and they used what few blankets they'd brought as a roof, and they used the only source of heat they had, each other. The next person to die was the last one you'd expect to go, Franklin Graves. Ooh. 
He was among the hardiest men in the entire Donner Party, much less the forlorn hope. But he, too, succumbed to the cold. As he lay dying, he told his daughters, who were two of the five women in the group, that they should eat him, lest they die the same death as him. Now, another important thing to know about these people's mindset is that they thought all these guys were dying from hunger. Mm. They were actually most likely dying of hypothermia. But these people had no fucking clue what hypothermia was. Right. Well, they felt like they were dying of hunger. Yeah. That was sure. kind of where it was going. They felt like they were dying of hunger. And so they didn't really understand why people die anyway. But hypothermia is a bitch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's why these people couldn't understand the behavior Patrick Dolan exhibited before he died. Mm. See, a lot of people who reach the later stages of hypothermia exhibit a behavior called paradoxical undressing. Ooh. See, when hypothermia begins, the blood vessels constrict so more heat is funneled to the body's core. But when the person reaches the final stage, the opposite happens. The vessels open back up and the victim is suddenly overheated. And huh. so they do what any of us would do when we're too warm, and they take off their clothes. Mm. Yeah, dude. They yeah. get naked out there, man. Yeah. Interesting. And interestingly, what I find really interesting in modern times, this is why so many urban cases of fatal hypothermia are actually mistaken for sexual assaults. Oh. And paradoxical undressing is exactly what Patrick Dolan did on Christmas Day, 1846. I don't want to see a naked Irishman on any yeah, day. Yeah, he's out there Christmas going like, <laughs> he's just like dancing a jig out in the snow, and they're all like, what's this guy's problem? Right, and I'm, I'm sure he was not the first naked man on Christmas Day. No. Naked <laughs> Irishman. I'm sure of that. So after stripping, Dolan tried crawling out of the makeshift tent into the snowstorm that had been raging all day. Ooh. They tried holding him back, but he made it out. And this is another sign of hypothermia. It's a syndrome called hide and die, or terminal burrowing. It's thought to be a primordial instinct to run for protection, and roughly half of all hypothermia victims do it. So the group managed to get Dolan back in the blanket circle, but by that afternoon, he was dead. And the hunger was getting worse. Their livers had begun to break down, and their bodies started producing acetone, making their breath smell like nail polish. Ooh. Then more of them started losing it. A 13-year-old boy named Lemuel Murphy managed to capture a mouse while he was trying to find dry wood, and he just popped it in his mouth and ate it alive. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. You fucking went nuts. And he found this mouse. He's like, ha, ah! Because at this point, they're all kind of like, they're trying to keep their cool. Yeah. Right, Things are getting right. pretty intense. You know what I mean? They got Antonio chilling like a Bud Lime in the snow next to him. They're just trying to like, we're going to get through all of this right. shit. He goes out, <clears> he eats the food. The problem is this. But 36 hours into starvation, the hunger pains begin to leave because the, your body starts to readjust. Like, it makes it so... Because basically, hunger pains come from the glucose levels in your brain reach a certain point where they're like, okay, you got to eat. You got to eat. We're going to make it really difficult for you to not eat. You're going right. to eat whatever the fuck comes across. But then after a while, your body readjusts and makes it so the hunger pains go. So at this point, they're actually feeling not good but they're feeling better than they were because the body's starting to eat their muscles and their fat, which is kind of why it's like we can live for like three weeks with no food. But right. as soon as you eat, it kicks the system back in. Yeah. So Lemuel mm. Murphy, 
He eats this fucking, this mouse, and then it makes him go fucking cuckoo bananas. Interesting. Well, you hear those stories with the Holocaust survivors mm-hmm. when they were being, they were fed a bunch of food and then they would die from eating. That happened to one of the Donners. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Not good. So after. Can I just say it's not good? It's, it's not good. Yes. It's not good. Thank you for qualifying. You're right. You're right. So after the Lemuel Murphy ate the mouse, he started attacking everyone else, biting on their arms and just yelling one thing over and over and over again. Give me my bone! <laughs> Give <laughs> me my bone! Just biting on her saying, Give me my bone! Give me my bone! Give me my bone! <laughs> yeah. When did he turn into a shaggy dog? <laughs> he died at 2 a.m. Oh. and his body was rolled out of the circle into the snow. There were now three bodies laying in the Forlorn Hopes camp. And that's when the cannibalism started. Yay! He did it! He did it! That's when the cannibalism started. I said it. I said the thing. I said the thing. He said the line. And that's when the cannibalism started. (laughs) I said said the line. I did what you wanted me to do. That's from the intro of the show. I know know it is. I did the thing that they wanted me to do. (laughs) And that's when the cannibalism started. Cannibalism started. Yeah, I remember these. I love it. Awesome. So the morning after Murphy's death, it was decided there was no other choice, so they began butchering the three bodies that lay frozen in their camp. Okay. So they did have to choose. So they had to organize who was going to get who. Okay. Because no one wanted to eat a member of their own family. Jeez. First, they removed the heads, hands, and feet of the cadavers, which is common among cannibals as it helps to dehumanize the meat. Mm. They seem pretty good at it, like right off the bat. Well, I mean, yeah. it's almost like, a, again, like a primordial type of urge, okay. like because you're looking at it and you're thinking like, I can't eat a person, so right. I've got to make this look less like a person. That's why I don't like going to pig roast where the pig is actually on a spit because it's it's horrifying. Yeah, yeah. It makes you feel weird. Yeah. No, not me, man. It's the opposite. I, I know. like seeing the face. I, I know. know. I know. I don't understand. That's what a real, that's a non-hypocrite's way of looking I, at me. I, I, I like seeing the feet. I actually will agree. I am a mm. hypocrite when it comes to that. They then opened the torso and brought out the liver, heart, and kidneys. Ooh. And those that's and of course like that's the most likely thing to do because that's the most nutritious meat by this point okay. because their muscles are all gone. Right. Mm. Three of the survivors were either the sibling or spouse of each of the deceased, so the party divided into three groups so no one would accidentally eat the flesh of their kin. Ooh. They found some dry firewood, and the meat was roasted on sharpened steaks. What they said, too, is that, again, their hunger pains had sort of left. Right. And so, for a while, this was like, they were doing this rote butchering, and it felt like butchering an animal, so it was a little bit more like, oh, okay, we can do this, it was fine, but it was slow going. But they said when the smell of the cooking meat hit their noses, they became ravenous with hunger. Because, oh. I mean, it just smells like fucking beef, sweet, delicious pork, beautiful pork meat. Yeah, interesting. The only ones who didn't partake in the meat were Louis and Salvador. Because really? they looked at this whole thing like this is an abomination of the highest order. Right, yeah. right. So the forlorn hope sat in the snow and ate, all of them avoiding eye contact and weeping at what they had to do to survive. Wow. Now, it is true that they would have probably survived a couple more weeks without the human flesh before they starved to death. But before we judge, it is almost assured 
they would not have had the energy to continue. They just would have sat around that fire Mm -hmm. trying to find dry firewood until they just starved to death. Well, this is a small exaggeration, but not that much of an exaggeration. When I was 380 pounds, I did sit in a Ponderosa booth after about my fifth plate, and I did begin to cry. Uh, it, because That's it different. got quite sad. That was it's one a of little those, different. Uh, yeah, it was one of those aha moments. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I couldn't tie my shoes. <laughs> That's another moment I realized I had to lose This is like weight. the opposite. This is the complete opposite of the Donner Party. Yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. The eating well fat is actually sad. Well, obese is actually sadder than uh, I don't know if that's true. But I, I've eaten some sad times. <laughs> so after the butchering, they got a little bit of luck. The snow stopped and the temperature dropped, meaning the snow was easier to walk on. Okay. So they cut long strips of flesh from the deceased and dried them over a fire for the further journey. Mm. In the end, only four days worth of meat could be harvested from the starved bodies, and still. There were weeks left to go. Jeez. That is kind of what they brought up in the book that was interesting. Is like the way he said it, the way Brown said it, it was almost a little suspicious. He's like, if you really look at the stats of Franklin Graves, you'd expect a yield of 66 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I remember that passage, and I remember thinking, like, I really respect this guy for doing the math. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, like I guess- really, he called somebody up. He asked him what the, what how much meat it would yield. I, I respected it. Yeah. So um, maybe they weren't very good at getting the meat off the bones. No, uh, it, well, okay. Think of it this way: uh, like compare it to the uh, Uruguayan uh, rugby team that crashed in the Andes in the seventies, alive and all that. Those guys were all athletes. They were a rugby team, right? So there was quite a bit of very good meat left on those guys. So they were able to get some choice cuts, not to be mm. too indelicate, right. uh, but they were able to get some pretty choice cuts of meat from these guys. Uh, the Donner Party, by the time they had, uh, by the time they had started to butcher, you know, Franklin Graves and such, and the other two, mm-hmm. um, there was very little meat left on their bones. So you think that organized sports would have really helped? Out? <laughs> yeah, actually, well, yeah. Because <laughs> they had a little bit more muscle. But it's also the proper the proper diets. They had been walking for 2,000 miles. They had gump bodies. They had that, like, the long muscles of walking for a long time, and they've not been eating a lot of fat. So that without fat in the meat, you can't properly process the nutrients in the meat. Yep, right. So it's very, very dry. Oof. Now, after the meat ran out, the only thing they had left to eat were their shoes. Jeez. So they roasted their shoes and then moved on totally barefoot. And what's more, a lot of them barely had any clothes on their back at all because the clothes had started to rot from all the wetness. And they were walking through these tree branches constantly, and the branches, because the clothes were rotted, they just ripped more and more and more. I mean, they were half naked walking through like the Sierra Nevadas in the teens. That's crazy. A few days after eating their shoes, the hunger once again became too much. That's when the first mention of outright murder came. William Foster was the one who suggested that the group kill and eat Lewis and Salvador. Let's kill those guys. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Which is just that that inner like plotting of people pulling each other to the side being like, you see him over there? Look at that. All right. Imagine I'm in a taco. Just listen, listen. I'm the, I'm the one being crazy. I'm being crazy. 
But imagine on a salad. These are the only these are the guides, right? That were helping them out the whole time. Well, they yeah 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 they were. But I mean, this is another thing about uh, survival scenarios is that you always go first for the ones you know the least. Right. Uh, so, yeah, they're like, strangers. Yeah, Luis and Salvador are total strangers. So it's like yeah, fucking let's let's eat those guys. We don't okay. know any. We don't know those guys. So let's kill them and eat them so we can live. So our families can live. Now, we don't know if the two guides overheard everyone talking about this uh, or if one of the dudes who was against it, again, William, William Eddy, he may have told them about it. Uh, but by the next lo- night, Lewis and Salvador gotten the fuck out of there. That makes a lot yeah, of sense. They, why, so they could have just left at any time. I am wondering why they were still there at all. I mean, some they, sort of like, you know, human feeling for these people. Yeah, they saw how fucked they were. And so they were helping them and they knew how to live off the land. They could, they've been in these mountains before. They kind of understood a little bit of what was happening. I'm certain that it was still fucked for them. Yeah. But they understand you can live a little bit longer without eating. And he watched they watched them all eat their families like a week in. They're like, oh shit. These guys are for serious. Mm-hmm. And I really think that the writing was on the wall. When people go <laughs> off and like you see do people like miming like putting a stick in like like you know and roasting them over a flame people looking through recipe books. Right. People right. collecting whatever it is. And like I'm certain they read the room. Yeah. Let's get the fuck out. <laughs> Absolutely. Time to skip town. And they survived. Yeah. Okay. No. 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 The answer no, is no to that. No. I, there was no, a glimmer answer. of hope in my voice. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. now that's all gone. That's all gone. Yeah, they yeah. Did not don't, don't have any hope at all. Okay. On this. No, the, no the hope. Group, get rid of it. Ben, the group is called the Forlorn Hope. <laughs> hey, man. It's a cool name for a bar or a diner. But yeah, maybe not a great name for a group. Then there was some luck. The group had traveled below the snow line, so there was now at least the possibility of deer. So they all split off into groups. William Eddy and Marianne Graves, they finally found a deer. I can just see William Eddy with antlers on his head be like, they'll think I'm a deer. I'm going <laughs> to go down No, on listen, Mary, I've got a good idea. All right, we'll put the antlers on there. I'm going to go out there, I'm going to spread open my asshole, and I'm act like I'm super, super horny for deer. Right? I know how to do it. I go, give me, give me wet, wet, buck, buck, give me the buck, give me the buck, cock. So Eddie, barely able to hold the gun, much less fire it, brought up his flintlock, and by some miracle was able to hit the deer. Wow. He and Marianne followed the trail of blood until the deer collapsed, and when they came upon the dying animal, Eddie slit its throat, and they both fell to their knees to greedily drink the blood that gushed from the wound. Ooh, this, is this is good. Mm, this is good. It's like a rosé, but deer blood. <laughs> they went full Richard Chase in this situation. Yeah. Huh? But the other- I will eventually pay probably several thousands of dollars in my in my <laughs> lifetime like later on to do this with Why the chef you were like dude. gary Busey in surviving the game you know what, dude you we can like- we can do this like we can just go back to the ranch and we can do i've seen this done many times well, i'm not drinking the blood that's but, what henry wants to do yeah we can do that for you we're not doing yes. it <laughs> what are you even talking about yeah we can do it i experience things differently than you two <sighs> i experience things deeper yeah. More significantly than you two. Yeah, you hang the deer well, up. I want to feel the rush of life from that animal into my bodice. It's not how it works. Yeah, so. sure. We just we kill a deer, we hang it upside down, slit the throat like we normally do, but instead of having it flow into the blood bucket, you can just have it flow on you. Like a <laughs> fat carry? God, give me the bone! No. Give me the bone! <laughs> the thing was, that was just Marianne Graves and William Eddy. 
There's still all the rest of them still out there in the wilderness, all right. looking for their own deer. And that night, as Jay Fostick and his wife Sarah search for deer, Jay, the man who had played fiddle for everyone back in Nebraska, slipped out of consciousness and died. Oh. Well, Sarah Graves had now lost both her father, Franklin, and her new husband to the Forlorn Hope journey. Mm. When she ran into the Fosters on the way back and told them what happened, they didn't wait a second before asking if they could eat them. They jumped really? right in. They were like, <laughs> so we can, we can have them then. And then she, she's just like, yeah, I mean, maybe give me like a second. They're like, I just want to look at his dick. I want to see if it's big enough for me to eat it into a bun. Is that <laughs> oh disgusting to me? Wow. Yeah. So they were all about it, they the were Fosters. All, oh, the Fosters were all about it. Okay. Like, she just looked at him and said, like, yeah, you, you can't hurt him now. Go ahead. Jeez. So the Fosters butchered the body on the spot for convenience of conveyance and brought the torso, legs, and arms back to the camp on their backs. My God. And even though William and Marianne had brought venison back to the camp, the Fosters still impaled Jay Fostick's heart on a stake, roasted it, and ate it up. Now, I don't want to be crass here, but did they tie his arms like a little backpack around their neck? <laughs> no. How do you haul this no, body? What the, no, they butchered it, meaning they cut off the arms, they cut off the legs, and put them in like little pallets uh, and put them on their back. I so see. she, okay. So he could carry the torso and she could carry the limbs. Yikes. But then they said it was the same, it's the smell that did it. It said they said the overcoming smell of the uh, meat cooking. Right. And they were like, all right. So they'd already eaten what was left of that deer. And then Sarah Graves had to sit separate while they didn't just then double down and ate her fucking husband right in front of her where maybe she turned away or whatever but it was just like it's fucked because they just stuck a heart on a stick like it's a marshmallow and started cooking and eating it. All of them is going like "Mm, mmm like (laughs) loving it up. Right. I mean, I know it, there's really no respectful way to... Well, no, there is a respectful way to eat a human body, I guess. It seems a little bit I mean, rude the way that they did it. Well, no, they weren't all sitting around laughing okay. and singing campfire stories. Okay. Like, they were... St- well, we don't know what grim. they were doing. We don't know <laughs> quite... Okay. It was still very, very grim. I see. Okay. Uh, the party was now down to seven. Five women and two men. Hmm. They kept going, and finally they reached the bottom of the canyon. But that had come at a price. Since they'd all eaten their shoes, everyone's feet were cut up by sharp rocks and were swollen from the snow. They were only 20 miles from their destination, but the worst was still to come. Yikes. So now we're moving into the spiders have gotten down the tube. They are, they are inside <laughs> okay. of you. They've discovered that they can lay eggs. In them. Ooh, all right. Again. Foster suggested murder. He had his eye on Amanda McCutcheon, but again, Eddie objected, saying she's a fucking mother. So Foster said, fine, let's kill the Grave Sisters. They need to kill Foster. <laughs> like, let's kill the Grave Sisters. They don't got any kids, and they actually, and now, shit, Sarah don't even have a husband anymore, so what does it matter? Let's just kill any of them. At what point did Foster say, like, you know what? I'm actually really enjoying this. <laughs> he seems way too into this. He is, I feel like it's a strange thing that comes over the group where the human meat is easier. And so the human, because it's right there. And sure. They say there's something that changes with um, was it anthropophagy? Is it the anthropophagy? Yeah, anthropophagy. Yeah. Or, or arthropophagy, whatever. Anthrop- how you pre- anthropophagy. Where 
there's a when there's a lines crossed, right? It's the you start dreaming about eating human as people. Like when you're that level of hunger, you're dreaming about it. And also, there's a thing that happens in your brain when it travels from you're my friend Kissel. We hang out and we drink beer and we'll smoke weed and we have fun and we ride on planes together, right? To uh, Kissel, you're at least 150 pounds of meat that I can consume. Where I'm looking at you and I'm mm-hmm. actively made hungry by your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's this is this is really getting scary for me here. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if a little guy like you could handle all this meat. <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised. Oh, but I can yeah. Do. No, Marcus would be too stringy. Henry, you're probably actually. I'm probably. Oh, Henry and I are probably the best tasted. Yeah, you're too stringy, Marcus. Ah, uh, oh, you think so? That's who's got the Who's got the biggest, tightest butt in this room? Oh, I vote Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> you just messed up, buddy. <laughs> well, as far as how Foster was thinking, there was another thing that Brown talked about in Indifferent Stars uh, was how humans turn feral, oh. uh, and this happens a lot in you know places where food is very scarce like in like the siege of leningrad uh people started eating children uh first they just started eating anything and it's like it's one of those things where you know you watch a post-apocalyptic movie uh and you wonder it's like wow how are all those people feral like how do they actually get Mm -hmm. to that point there's actual science behind that people act like that once you take everything away from a group of humans Mm -hmm. society and any sort of societal norms completely break down and we turn into to the most dangerous animals on the planet. All right. Mm. But after Foster suggested that they eat the Grave Sisters, fucking Eddie stepped in again. Okay. He drew a knife and said that he would kill Foster if he didn't fucking drop it. Nice. That's one version of the story. Okay. The other version is even worse. The other version says that Foster even went so far as to lure Marianne away from the camp so he could kill her before Foster stopped him. Mary, (laughs) I'm over here. I'm here with Deborah. (laughs) Second ascent. Is that? Yeah, it's me. Everybody loves me. Ray Romano? Come over here, Mary. Certainly not going to eat you with my father. What's he doing out here? You know, like, considering how weak everyone was, it, it was probably more likely that Foster just suggested it, and Eddie, like, weakly pulled out a knife. He's like, I'm going to fucking stab you if you say anything else. Okay, right. So everyone is very weak here. Everyone's very weak, yeah. But eventually, Foster would get his murder, although the victims would not be in their immediate group. A couple of days after the murder threat, the party, by chance... Ran into Lewis and Salvador. Uh-oh. Yeah, dudes. And if Uh-oh. they were doing the Cheech, if it was Cheech and Chong behaving it, they have since found a pine cone that they're smoking, <laughs> <laughs> and they're having a great time with two big titted like women that they think are big titted women, but it's just clods of dirt that right, they put right. together. <laughs> Now, stories vary as to how it all went down. Some say the party came upon Luis and Salvador laying by a stream, too weak to move, near death. Okay. And it said that since they were near death, Foster took out his flintlock and shot both of them in the head. All right. The others say that Luis and Salvador, who were Miwoks, by the way, I mean, these guys, they knew the land, and even if they didn't know the land, they sure as hell knew how to survive on it. So it's possible... They were doing just fine and were killed as healthy men. Either way, Foster murdered them, and that night, they all dined on their organs. Oh, goodness. Ironically, though, 
It was actually a Native American tribe who saved the forlorn hope. Of course. Of yeah. course it was. Yeah, it's it like they show up with Alfred Packer. Yeah, they fucking killed Luis and Salvador. They they immediately butchered him up, and they were they were cooking him and eating him immediately. And then they wandered into the camp of the Mayudu tribe with the fucking their bodies of the Miwoks, who were their like allies, oh. in their backpacks while they're being taken care of. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. Two days after they killed Nate Lewis and Salvador, they just wandered into the camp. It seems like they never really did. They ever have to eat people? Yes. Okay, they yeah, did. Yeah, they did. Because they, at this point, it seems like they're always like two days away from food, <laughs> get the deer, going and finding yeah. a tribe. No, they, they did. They needed some sustenance if they okay. were going to survive. Because, you know, remember, they're in the extreme cold. Their calories are getting burned very quickly. Right, right. And also, I mean, these people, the amount of physical energy that they're exerting, like, it's not hiking. They're climbing mountains. Right, right. Like, they're climbing up straight cliff faces. Jeez. They're going down. They're walking through craggy rocks. Like, this is not, a, like, they're, it's not point. A to point B. It, it's point A to point C to point E. Like it's right. there is no straight line here. These people are doing horrific work. You know what I'm going to say? They could use a chocolate mint Cliff Bar, which are <laughs> really really tasty. And I don't even live an adventurous lifestyle. Yeah. Yes. And, and when they got to the uh, camp, they were in such bad sh- shape that the children freaked out and cried when they saw them. That's not good. <laughs> they showed up because the way they would describe is that their way they spent their nights. Or just like they would sleep and you just hear, oh, like, like screaming from hunger. And so when they showed up, they're like, food, forget us. They were fucking desert beasts. Yeah. Like Bob from Dawn of the Dead. They (laughs) they seem like zombies. And they did have a hunger for human flesh. Yeah, yeah. They were like zombies. I mean, and you got to, I mean, they're all gaunt. You know, they look like walking bloody skeletons. Wow. And so... The tribe brought them in, fed them a paste of acorns, and they all slept in warmth for the first time in months with the flesh of two Miwoks still stored in their packs. Good lord. They probably didn't tell the tribe that they had just eaten two Miwoks. I would hope not. They probably didn't tell them. I mean... It probably wouldn't have been a bad idea to tell them. I think so. You want to keep the human chest uh, in your backpack close to your chest. Mm -hmm. That's a secret. But it wasn't over yet. The next day, they set off towards Johnson's Ranch. Johnson's Ranch, I mean, that's where they were going in the first place. Okay. Johnson's Ranch was the first settlement once you got out of the Sierra Nevadas. And as soon as they set out, just a fucking torrential downpour. Could have done without that. (laughs) They were shoeless and bleeding, and in some cases, pretty much naked. They stopped every hundred yards or so to rest, but after two miles, six of them just couldn't go on. I mean, these people, it had been a six-week-long, 70-mile journey through the mountains in the middle of winter, and their bodies just gave out. They have to be, I mean, they must freeze, right, with all the water? The only one to make it to the cabin at Johnson's Ranch was William Eddy. Yeah, he's got really? it again. <laughs> yeah, dude. They really do. You mentioned Unit 733, uh, seven, what is it? 731. You mentioned Unit 731, and there was that scene where they froze the woman's arm and smashed it with a hammer. Yeah. They must have felt very similar to that woman. I, I'm sure they were not comfortable. Wow. So William Eddy, after being laid down in a bed, he told him that six others were near death down the road. Eddie's greatest source of pain was the other salvation because the ranchers followed William Eddy's bloody footprints 
back to the rest of them. Wow. Yeah, dude. He like, was just leaking a yeah. map. Oof. And out of the 17 that had originally set out from the Donner camp a month and a half before, seven made it there alive. Oh. But now that people knew dozens were trapped without food over the mountains, the rescue operations began. Hey, all right. But guess what, man? This was supposed to take six days. This yeah. whole thing was supposed to take six days. They were gone for a month and a half. Good. So those motherfuckers were just sitting there and had no clue what was happening. And they also had no clue what they were going to see when they arrived at this fucking camp. Right. Because yeah. back at Truckee Lake, the horror was just beginning. In the time it took for the forlorn hope to reach Johnson's ranch, people had begun dying back at the original camp. The single men who only had mice and strips of buffalo hide for sustenance Mm -hmm. were all dead, except for one. And Jacob Donner, George Donner's brother, had also died because he'd pretty much just given up from the moment it all started. I see. Well, they said that was really sad, was that he just went and he just laid down. Like, when he was... There's a... It's interesting about this story, too, is that you see what this kind of situation brings out in people. Because, right. like, Franklin Graves, it made him a fucking hero. Uh, and it made him go do what, he, do what he could to get to save his family and, and change shit for everyone. But Jacob Donner, not saying that it was bad. Like, I'm not no. blaming him for anything. No. But he was already so sick that when he got there, he just died. Yeah. Like, and they talk about this all the time. There's a decision that you make at some point. And a lot of times, and, uh, in the book, it brings up a good, like, people can die on the inside first. Yeah. And right. then that's it. Yeah. It, it kind of like uh, Johnny Depp in the not well-known film, but wonderful film, Dead Man. If oh. you get a chance to Very watch good that. Movie. Very good Very movie. Very good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Margaret Reed, who had lost everything when her husband was banished from camp, this was James Reed's wife, she fed her children boiled ox hides, and eventually she could only feed them the discarded bones from oxen the others had eaten. Ooh. Well, essentially, it'll do a thing again that I'll do. You can boil bones down to the point where you can just bite them and yeah. eat them. Sure. Mm-hmm. Then you get the marrow, I guess. Yeah. Mm. By February, 14 of them were dead. But at the same time, the first of four rescue missions had set off from Johnson's Ranch, okay. calling themselves the First Relief. <laughs> that's a, that's a, mm. It sounds like Kenny Rogers' band. First poop of the day. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, first poop of the day. First what I do miss is groups of guys right. giving themselves a name. I love it. I love it. Yeah, Because I it wonder a- if that starts first. Yeah, they did just we're, we're putting together the first. You want to join the first relief, boy? Can we be the how about it, boys? <laughs> yeah, it, boys? I want us to be a mountain boys. We're Ooh. the mountain boys having fun out in the mountain. Oh, yeah, and the first relief, oh, they were a ragtag group of do gooders and mercenaries. I love it. And of course, I, uh, it's, it's farm aid followed, and uh, <laughs> Willie Nelson performed. So. Yeah, there was Jotham Curtis, Ooh. Septimus Mootry. And a German known only as Greasy Jim. I never wash my hair because there's no reason to. Why let anybody hold me? It's too easy to fall in love these days. I prefer to be single. Greasy as a bar of soap. Never talk They were all paid the kingly sum of $3 a day. 
and they arrived two weeks after setting out. So even they doubled the trip time. They knew it would take two but weeks. They like, knew it would like take two they, weeks. Okay. Well, they were uh, reasonable, uh, right. and they did run across some. Like they ran across some troubles, but compared to everything else, like they these were all guys who knew what they were doing. Right. Okay. Like they abso- They knew how long it was going to take them to get there. They knew what they were doing, and they got there two weeks later. And when they arrived on February eighteenth, they discovered the camp was under almost 20 feet of snow. Wow. It was so deep that when a person had died in a cabin, the survivors had to dig inclines in the snow from the door to drag them out. And because of that, corpses just scattered the camp. This to me is the most thing like 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 a horror movie. A part of is that where the starts is that they come over the ridge and they're expecting to see fires going. They're expecting to see people kind of like whatever tan because they don't really know. And they walk in and it's just dead bodies everywhere. And yeah. you can see almost nothing because they were essentially completely covered in snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the guy just he came and they he was like this can't be where the camp is because they went exactly that that's where they told him it would be right. and he just like straight like was like hello and like one frail wo- woman like crawled up from the snow and like and she was like and she, I think what she said was. Are you men from California or from heaven? Yeah, Yeah. Trick question. California is heaven. (laughs) Tell me about it. I love it. 70 degrees and sunny. Now, 22 people were brought out by the first relief. Most of those were children, but scores were still left behind. Now, Margaret Reed and four of her children were included on that first trip, which was actually, like, relatively not that bad. Only two people died on that one. That's it. Yeah. Okay. But one of those was three-year-old Ada Kesseberg. It took the first relief a day to convince Ada's mother to leave the little girl behind. And the man who finally convinced her later wrote that the child's spirit had went to heaven, her body to the wolves. Ooh. And as the first relief crossed the pass, they met the second relief on their way to the lake. Hey, all right. That group was led by none other than James Reed, back from fighting in the Mexican-American War. It's unbelievable. (laughs) People didn't believe me that I would be a part of this entire expedition. But I said, I'm going to come back from Mexico. I'm going back to that mountain. You can't even believe. It's incredible what I can do. (laughs) Uh, James Reed, he had never forgotten his family. But after he lost a battle, he left the war and traveled to San Francisco and he actually he managed to raise a thousand dollars for the rescue attempt, and he also gained the support of the Navy. Got a few men from them. Okay. Because James Reed went to San Francisco and was like, "Listen, there's a whole there's eighty people trapped on the other side of the mountains. Could you please help?" Right. So James Reed, I mean, he's coming through. Huh. So when Margaret Reed saw her husband, she fell to her knees. He ran to her. They embraced. He found out four of his children are alive. There's still a few more back. There's still There were still two more wow. back at the camp. And so he reunited with his wife, which he hadn't seen in like four months, only a couple minutes before he said, I got to keep going. I got to save the other kids. Oh, my goodness. But once Reed arrived, he'd found the cannibalism had already begun. He did it again! Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is that when the cannibalism started? Uh, it's, no, the cannibalism... Okay, that's when the cannibalism started. Again. Yeah, he did it again! <laughs> this time at the Donner, at the Donner camp. I love it! <laughs> 
So James Reed, he went into the Murphy cabin, and in there, he found gnawed human bones strewn upon the floor next to clumps of inedible human hair. Laying in the beds were the weakened children in the care of a woman named Lavina Murphy. It had been the children who had eaten the dead. Really? One man wrote that the survivors looked more like demons than human beings. Shoo, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that is that's To crazy. be honest, that's a lot, right? Because, like, kids kind of scare me anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of just their potential. You don't know what's going to happen with them. Mm-hmm. You know, again, go on a Disney cruise and tell me that you don't sure. experience fear of children. But the idea of children that have gotten a taste for flesh. Yeah. Right. And them all just being like... So it's like immediately looking at you like you're a pile of sausages with a hat on. <laughs> <laughs> Terrified. Now the Donners had resorted to cannibalism as well. Their children had eaten the corpse of Jacob Donner, and George reportedly wept as he watched his children eat the flesh of his only sibling. Wow. The second relief brought out 17 from that whole scene, three adults and 14 children. There's was possibly the most harrowing journey of all. Although there was no way they could have known, their fate rested in where they decided to pitch camp on just one night. As Brown wrote in The Indifferent Stars Above, the place where the second relief pitched camp was just about the perfect spot for experiencing the worst blizzards the Sierra Nevada had to offer. Hmm. And interestingly, less than 100 years later... Walt Disney chose oh. this spot for a sugar bowl ski resort, boasting oh. the most snowfall of any resort in California. <laughs> oh, Walt Disney. <laughs> Great corporation. Wonderful man. <laughs> and, you know, just down the road, this is how bad the weather is there. Now, there's a meteorological lab placed there specifically to measure extreme weather conditions and this is where they decided to stay for the night wow. they had no it's, idea of, of course, course. Yeah. like that's and that's the thing about the donner party like again and again like it's just they just had no idea they just had no clue because no one had ever been in the mountains at that time of year right. like yeah, everyone had they were supposed cleared to out because the native s- americans knew to not be there yeah because it sucked being there of or course they would have been there yeah it was like the shining Yes. Yes. Very good. <laughs> yes. good very good. Very good. They ate each other up. Now the storm came. <laughs> All right. Now the storm came on March fifth. It was so cold that one of the men leaned too close to the fire and didn't notice until the flames had burned through four shirts down to his skin. Uh. And there was so much snow that the fire pit. Actually, just it just kept sinking down. Eventually, it made it down 10 feet, and it formed like this big pit that all 17 of these people used as a burrow. And of course, they soon ran out of food. Right. And Elizabeth Graves, another Graves, was the first to die, leaving behind a young child. Uh-oh. You know, now that I think about it, it really was the Graves family that got the raw deal. Really? Uh, they really did. They were good people. Yeah. They were hardy people. They worked really uh-huh. hard. They were they were strong. They were moral, like kind of tent poles for the entire party. Uh, and they just got fucked up. Yeah. And really like, at, and at most points it was either 
them trying to help other people, mm-hmm. uh, or it was just bad luck. Okay, and this is dur- so they're on. This is the second relief. This is the second relief. The first okay. relief already made it back. So they're all only good. only two people died on the first relief. So there's already like a contingent of the okay. Donner Party that has made it to Johnson's Ranch. They're safe in California. Okay, this is the second relief. Remember, this is three people, like three adults, fourteen children. Jeez. So after Elizabeth Graves died. It was decided that Reed should go ahead to Johnson's ranch and send back for help. One adult was left behind in what came to be known as Starved Camp to watch over 14 children. Then, after the first night, it was 13. And it was Mary Donner, seven years old, who first brought up cannibalism. Seven years old? Well, that's the thing. There were two bodies up above. Mary Donner... She'd already eaten her uncle, and she told the others, it's not that bad. How scary is that? You look at a little girl, a yeah. sweet little girl. She's like, we can just eat the other little one. <laughs> it's easy to do. All you got to do is, um, 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 and then Uncle Jacob goes in your belly. And she's like, oh, God, help us yeah. all. Wow. Kill the little girl. Yeah. Kill the little girl. <laughs> Well, I mean, she'd also kind of learned it from uh, the camp uh, because another woman, I think it was Jacob's wife, uh, one night they were uh, cooking and the, like the Mary asked her, it's like, what are we, you know, what are we eating? And uh, she said that uh, the woman, like with a smile on her face, was like, what do you think we ate last night? Shoemaker's arm. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, mean, I, I guess they kind of had to make it fun for the kids. I gotta have fun with it. <laughs> I would rather have Damien from The Omen <laughs> as a child. These kids are crazy. Yeah. Now, by the time the rescuers returned, the children had stripped Elizabeth Graves' bones of the majority of the flesh, eating the heart, the liver, and the breasts. They Whoa. had eaten the kid who died as well. That was Isaac Donner. Nancy Graves, another Graves. Although she didn't know it at the time, she'd eaten her own mother. Jeez. Now, when another rescue party found pretty much what was a cannibal hole, many of them were leaning towards just leaving him there to die. Yeah, dude. Because it's just like, let the snow just take him. Like, this is a whole nightmare. This is a whole thing that maybe should just be swept away by time and the weather. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, you've got, it's still families. And yes, they've become writhing demons. But they got to go to California to be actors. Right. (laughs) Of course, naturally, yeah. But three men stepped forward saying they wouldn't have any of it. Okay. And they carried the children all the way back to Johnson's Ranch. One dude, John Stark, rescued nine children all on his own. He would carry a kid a few steps and then go back for the next one and then carry her a few steps and then go back for the next one and the next one for miles upon miles. This guy is a, this guy deserves a statue. For some reason, I just feel like every time he grabbed a child, it's like when you try to pet a chihuahua that's not yours. I'm trying to help you. And John Stark's family went on to carry the Knicks in the same exact way. Yeah. Well, love John Stark's. Meanwhile, things were getting even more grim at Truckee Lake. Louis Kesseberg, who up till this point was no more than like just a background character with an injured foot, was slowly becoming one of the story's main villains. I feel like it's got something to do with the foot. Because early on, so like when they arrived at Truckee Lake, 
Louis Kesselberg was a guy that he couldn't do very much because he stepped on a sharp branch. Which is <laughs> off. I mean, like, you like think about this no, shit. I, I no, just feel like out of all the suffering going on, though, he's like, mm, guys, I did step on a sharp branch. Yeah, I, I don't so know. this like, is I a bit of an eyeball. inconvenience for me. I This is my right foot, which is my favorite foot. <laughs> but I think there's a part of it that fed into this insanity because he was really useless early on. So I think he sat and watched and became more and more demented mm, as yeah. the weeks went. Maybe an yeah. infection. Infections can make you a little nutty, too. Maybe. Okay. So one night, Louis Kesselberg took one-year-old George Foster into his bed. Uh-oh. By the morning, little Foster was dead. We don't know if the kid died of natural causes or if Louis Kesselberg just smothered him. But either way, Kesselberg took the body from his bed and hung it on a peg on the wall like it was little more than a suckling pig. Soon after, George Foster's father arrived with the third relief, and when he discovered that Kesseberg had eaten his infant son, he almost killed him, but decided instead that he'd had enough of murder. You think you've had your fill of murder, Mr. Foster? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he told him, if I, ever see, if I see you in California, I'll kill you, but I ain't going to do it here. Wow. And consequently, George Foster left Kesseberg there to be rescued by the fourth and last party, led by a quote-unquote flamboyant mountain man named William Legros Fallon. I love him. They call me gross, but that's only because of the way I dress. Let's go, boys. Up over that mountain. A tippity-tap. I love this guy. The fourth relief left on April 13th. 11 months after the Donners and the Reeds had left Independence, Missouri. That's great. The third relief had taken the majority back, and only four remained. Lavina Murphy, who had saw, who had watched over the cannibal cabin, Kesseberg the ghoul, mm. and the last two Donners, Tamsin and George. All right. Because George, he'd never recovered from that cut. But he had survived the entire time. Mm. And Tamsin, she had completely refused to leave him at every turn. Now, the fourth relief knew there probably wasn't much of a chance of bringing back all four. Now, Tamsin and Kesseberg, they were healthy enough when the third relief left, but the other two were almost certainly dead. What the fourth relief was actually after was loot. Oh. Yeah, because that was a lot of shit. Like, these people had brought a lot of stuff. They brought gold. Dude. They brought silver. They brought fabrics. Like there was, We didn't there talk was... about this. But the Graves family had their entire family fortune buried in, like, built inside of their wagon. Mm-hmm. They had, like, thousands of dollars of silver, like, stuck in their, their stuff. And they knew that we'll go, and essentially the deal was, is that you get to keep some of the shit, and you get to bring back whoever's left. The the four of the ghoulish members that are left, the, the most evil and demented and sick and broken, you just have to go bring those back. And the gross was just like... This is not the, the creepiest thing I've brought back to my apartment. <laughs> like, you go get him. Well, once the fourth relief got to the camp, what they found was most likely a murder scene. Although, it must be said that there's some debate as to the veracity of the flamboyant mountain man's account. Okay. He said when they arrived, there was no one to be seen, but the camp itself 
was strewn with mutilated arms, legs, skulls, and limbless torsos. One of the guys who had been there, I think his name was uh, Reason, Reason Tucker, uh, he said that he'd been there on the second relief, and there had definitely been bodies there when he'd left. But then, that at least been whole. It's kind of like a battlefield scene. Mm-hmm. This was closer to a slaughterhouse. That was at the lake. When they went to Alder Creek, where the Donner camp was, it got even worse. They said when they got to George Donner's tent, they didn't find George Donner. Mm. They just found his head. Oh, my God. This yeah, is it, it had uh. been split open, and the insides had been scooped out, and the brains were in a nearby kettle, simmering. Oof. And Kesseberg was the culprit. This guy. Oh, it's me again. I do it again. They called me the chef. What can you do? <laughs> and when the fourth relief finally found Kesseberg, he was not shy in any way about saying that he was the last survivor and that he'd ate all the rest of them. But he also made sure to say that Tamsin Donner's flesh was the best he'd ever tasted. Oh God. well, that's that's good. Um, I don't <laughs> good good. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Oh, tell me, you better yelp it. <laughs> but good Lord, he denied murder, and well, Kesseberg said that Tamsin had died pretty soon after George. Supposedly, after George's death, Tamsin tried to leave because she said, "I got nothing here left for me. Like I'm gonna go find my kids. I have to go see my kids. I don't care. I'm gonna go." But what? Kesselberg said was that she didn't get very far before she fell into a creek. She got wet, she caught a chill, and died that very night. And Kesselberg claimed that her last wish was that he should take the last of the Donner silver to their children in California. Of course it was. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> All of this is true. Uh, the indifferent stars above. If Do- if Jeffrey Dahmer would have just read this book, his defense could have been like, uh, "Judge, I was hungry. You have to understand, I was. You don't I even was- understand okay. where I was at. I was doing intermittent fasting. You can only eat ten hours a day on that." Now the fourth relief, of course, they didn't believe a goddamn word of it. Right, Kesseberg, he did have some money in his pockets, but the group knew that wasn't all of it because they had an accounting of what was there. So they tied a noose around Kesseberg's neck and choked him till he gave up the goods. He showed him where he'd buried the rest of the silver, and after the men were paid, they were on their way with Kesseberg following behind. Louis Kesseberg, who ate more human flesh than anyone else during the winter of 1846-1847, was the last survivor of the Donner Party camp. He died a free man decades later, known till his dying day, as Kesseberg the Cannibal. It is definitely a sketch. Like, to me, this is a (laughs) sketch where it's like the guy that goes up, because it's closer to, because we rewatched Cannibal the Musical this week. It's great. It's really funny. It really holds up. But it's the same bit where it's like the guy goes up with six people and he's just all fat. Coming back, being like, well, I don't know what happened to those guys. <laughs> yeah. Some kind of accident. I'm not real sure. Yeah. Where it's like, Kesberg just kind of, he got to see the abyss. Because there's a part of me that, Oof. like, I'm not jealous in any way, shape, or form. But there's, like, right. a thing where you look at it and the idea of, like. Strangely, you had to put to... that caveat in there. Does, <laughs> yeah. does lead me to believe you are slightly jealous. Because I wasn't thinking you would be. But then you did say you're not. So it's something about being able to just give a little gander 
into the abyss yeah. of pure insanity and see what it's like to kind of get into it, kind of rub your hands all over it and really get it up to your fucking eyebrows, get in your hair. It's not that a Ren fair. It's not a f- <laughs> this isn't a Comic-Con. I'm just saying it just it, it must be interesting yeah. to be able to go all the way to those depths and then just like be in California yeah. and now you're just a guy <laughs> going to the store and now you're just living right. this life and you're just you're doing your day to day but you fucking ate a child 6 right. months ago what do you mean my Ralph's card isn't valid? <laughs> I can't. What do you mean? That's so crazy. So did they interview? Because I would love to hear what this guy had he, to say. He denied it all. He he said, no, I didn't do it. He's no, like, preposterous. No. Preposterous to think that I would ever do anything he's like, like burping that. up a nipple or something. <laughs> now, now, out of the original party of the Donners and the Reeds, all five of George Donner's children survived. Oh. Jacob Donner's family would not be so lucky. Out of all of them, Jacob Donner, his wife, all the kids, only three out of the nine survived. Mm. The Reeds, however, despite losing everything when James was banished, didn't lose a single one. That's incredible. Thanks to the resourcefulness of their mother. Winners win. Yeah. And the Breens, they didn't lose any either. Although, I would say they owed their greatest share of gratitude to John Stark. Okay. In fact, that's what the mother said. She says, I, I, think no, I have no one to thank but God, Stark, and the Virgin Mary. Oh, look at that. And two of them did nothing. <laughs> Technically, two of them fucked up everything else. If right. That's what you fucking believe in. They sent the snow. They did all the bullshit. Now, as far as the rest of them went, the rest of the Donner Party survivors, a lot of them, they lived full lives. They were quite successful. Horrible PTSD. Oh, I'm uh, sure. Naturally. Yeah, like, uh, was it Nancy Graves? Uh, if you even mentioned the Donner Party, she would immediately think about uh, eating her own mother, and she would burst into tears. Uh-huh. Uh, another of the Graves sisters, uh, she couldn't cry anymore after she got rescued she said if i could she's like if i could for what was the quote i think it was something like if i could forget what had happened i might be able to cry again but since i cannot i cannot um there was a another one like there was one other woman that one of the reeds said that she couldn't have christmas dinner without thinking about uh the christmas that they had uh, on Donner Lake right. because after the Donners were uh, rescued, it was no longer Truckee Lake. It was now Donner Lake. Wow. It was Donner Lake. And it, it was interesting on Christmas Day is they did talk about how, like, because they saved some stuff. Yeah. And they had these, like, little celebrations inside of the tents where they saved some beans, or they saved a little bit of meat. They managed to kill a grizzly bear at one point and it divided it up, which was very, very... That was an intense fucking battle. Yeah. Like, there's... There's so much here for a movie that is yet to really be like expressed. It's like just the I, the revenant style of going out and killing a grizzly bear essentially with their fucking hands, right? And then dividing the meat up it was very intense. Very fun. yeah, very intense. And, yeah, and that's why we keep saying like go read the Indifferent Stars Above because our two episode coverage on this we are skimming the fucking surface mm. on what this story actually is. I mean, this story there are so many like there's so many stories like the grizzly bear story, right? Uh, where like one dude shot like single-handedly took down an 800 pound grizzly uh and there are tons of stories like that stories of heroism stories of cowardice uh and that's why this the donner party story is so fucking amazing and then even what happened to some of them afterwards is a great story like it's like sarah graves remember her she lost both her husband and her father on the forlorn hope journey 
her life just kept getting worse. It could get worse. Her, 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 well, not worse. Her, well, I mean, worse. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, her second husband, he got lynched as a mule thief. <laughs> can't, <laughs> can't do it. What yeah. is going on? Yeah, got lynched as a mule thief. And Stealing mules? I mean, how the hell... Didn't Rasputin used to steal horses and stuff? Too? Yeah, but that was Russia. This that was frontier. fun. That was this fun. Is he was having a fun America. time. But what do you do with a stolen mule? Everyone's like, you didn't have a mule yesterday. We're missing a mule, and now you have a mule. Yeah. You're a mule. Thief. Well, you take the mule from far away, and then you bring it to where you are and tell all your neighbors, I bought a mule. Yeah. But now, hey, but you go he, and you put a hat on it and a little jacket, and you say, my son uh, <laughs> it takes offense at what you're saying about his appearance. Oh, oh man. Okay. And, no, in the Old West, you steal anyone's means of conveyance, and uh, you're fucking dead. Oh, sure. Like, no, you are 100% dead. At cattle rustlers, too. Oh. And Marianne Graves, uh, fucking Sarah Graves' sister, she married one of her rescuers, oh. but he was murdered in 1848. And she actually sat there and cooked meals for her husband's murderer. Why? So he wouldn't starve while he was waiting to be hung. Because that's what actual, quote-unquote, Christian morals are supposed to be, which is that you care for people. Uh, mm-hmm. well, why was he killed? Do we know? I can't remember why, exactly okay. why he was murdered. But yeah, he, I mean, it was murder. Okay. It was straight-up straight, straight up murder. Uh, but others totally leaned into this. Like, a lot of them gave accounts to the press, and mm. Eliza Donner, she published a memoir. Oh. But she also denied all accounts of cannibalism, which we know very much to be true. Right. Yes. And even, uh, what is it, Kesseberg the Cannibal? He was rumored to have opened a restaurant in Sacramento. <laughs> Although the claim, I must say, the claim is highly dubious. Really? Of only, man. Because, <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, I'm, unfortunately, I would go. I yeah. would well, definitely I mean, go yeah, just we'd to all check go. it out. Of course we'd all go. Yeah. And so the saga of the Donner Party comes to a close. And if there's any lesson to be learned from taking a shortcut you've never seen, touted by a man you've never met, it's this. Do you want it done fast, or do you want it done right? Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I kind of want it done fast. You know, it's not bad if it's slightly wrong. This was, like, way wrong, and it was longer. So yeah. that's, that's the But problem. that's the thing. They tried doing it fast, and because right. they tried doing it fast, they fucked up. You right. got to take your time, you got to put in the work, and then eventually it's going to pay off. I feel like you would really like basketball when Jerry West was the star. <laughs> nice Fundamentals. Slow, Fundamentals. Fun and Fundamentals. I love I love the way that white people teach basketball. <laughs> Honestly, guys, this story is so fucked. Woo. It's so like you get to the end of it and you're just like, I am hungry. I'm also when I was watching it. No, actually, I'm not going to say. That. I'm not going to say that at all. Ne- neither one of us at no point did when I was researching it did I think like I was like, ooh, cheeseburger time. You were like, you were like when Donald Trump goes overseas to meet with a dictator and he's like, I could go for a parade. We could kill some drug dealers. Every time we research, every you guys do all the research on this, you just come away and be like, I get it. I could because I jump into their heads. You know what it is? Is that I was. It, I will say that's a part of this kind of story, too, is that I definitely was reading it outside. I was like, I took a break from working in the office over here, and I went to go read the book outside, and it transports you to that place. I right. mean, it's very scary, especially in the very end when you were talking about being in the, the, like, the snow hovels, and they're stuck down there, and you have no other way out. It, those are the types of, like, when I have reoccurring nightmares, my nightmares are that I'm stuck on the side of a mountain, and I can't get down. 
Man, I would love to see you get arrested like on live PD reading the book. Just being like, don't take my book. No, it's my sir, book. You're loitering. You're loitering, sir. Wow. Awesome. Well, that is totally crazy. That's insane, right? I'm surprised. I, I didn't realize how many people actually survived. Yeah, half um, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is really impressive considering they didn't have shoes in the middle of the freaking winter in the in the mountains. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was just the the amount of suffering that these people went through uh, cannot be understated. I understand. Again, I wore a very light jacket. I walked all the way to Hollywood video and it was it was seven degrees and it was very but, cold. I will say there is a part of this that is, it's kind of uplifting in a way. There, there is. Where there is. We, we, we can survive a lot. Yeah. Humans are actually not that frail. Like, we can pull through and do shit. You just have to want something. You have to want to survive. You have to have something to live for. And they all right. had that. They were The frontier people were filled with dreams. Yeah, no, absolutely. It doesn't happen today. No, nope. in today's America, no one survives this. <laughs> we are not. We're not capable. Yeah, even the preppers, I think, would probably. Oh, it's like, no, the preppers oh, yeah, the in- preppers is like, oh, you're gonna survive without your tactical bath? Try yes, exactly. The preppers just they love freeze dried foods. Mm-hmm. They're eating like kings in there. I've seen extreme <laughs> preppers. All right, well, let's wrap it up here. Thanks so much for giving to our Patreon. Henrietta had a great interview uh, this week with Caitlin Doty. She is a uh, she runs a uh, what's what's the name of her um, the name of her book is Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and basically she runs a mortuary and we talk a lot about death and mortuary science and it's quite fascinating. I hear that book is fucking great. Yeah, she it's was awesome. really great. It's a very good it's a it's a fun read and you learn a lot about funerals. Yes, and uh, of course you can find all of us on uh, on social media and things like that. We what do we have? Do we want to announce anything? Do we have anything to announce? Uh, not quite. We're uh, still we're coming to DC. Go check out. Yes. Uh, we're coming to DC in November uh, for the Death Becomes This Festival. Uh, Google for that or use Bing. That's what I'm using now. I'm <laughs> no. off of Google. I'm using Bing. You still no, have a Gmail don't use address. fucking Bing. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also we're going to be uh, announcing a. a big tour here yes. coming up soon we're going to be returning uh we're going to be returning to a place we've been before bigger bigger tour bigger, bigger tour. everything might be bigger <laughs> i'm very excited for this i'm excited to hit the road yes uh, i miss my boys uh follow us on twitter or whatever the fuck it is you want i guess at lp on the left for all that shish all right everyone hail yourselves hail satan Elgin. Hail me. Magustalations, don't eat a child's brain. Try not. Don't. Don't do it. (laughs) The map is not the territory. Remember that always.